This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. How's it going and welcome to episode 128 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. You can follow me at 80 Grade. That's all spelled out. You can follow Kevin Hastings at Hastings Kevin. Speak of the devil, Kevin is here with us today. I don't even have a fancy intro for you, Kevin. I'm just happy to see your face. Thanks. I apologize for everybody listening because they cannot see your face. We haven't quite reached the video aspect of this podcast yet for live streaming or anything like that, but happy to have you, man. How you doing? Uh, doing amazing, especially since I'm here talking baseball with you, Adam. There we, go. Got, we got a lot of fun stuff going on. We got teams that we thought might be out of it by now still rolling or some that had been there as a surprise and went on little losing streaks and we're like, oh, here we go, but they're still hanging on. Arizona came, comes to mind in that aspect. All these young guys that we're seeing, as we were just talking off air, we've gotten past that 45-day mark, so we're seeing more. Every week, all season long, we thought, all right, this was the last guy. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, we got one more. We got, and now we're still getting them and we're almost to September. It's amazing. Yeah. We, uh, it really felt like we were getting these prospects up like one, one a week, maybe two, like maybe a hitter and a pitcher, but it really think it really felt like all the teams were coordinating within each other to not call out, call up like multiple big prospects per week. And they were spreading it out, spreading the wealth out throughout the course of the year. And now, as you mentioned, since we've hit that point of no return, now we're going to we're start. We'll talk about it in a second, but we're already, we're starting to see some mini floodgates opening up. And I think in the next week or two, we're going to start seeing even more come through, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. The, some of the teams are obviously very surprising. And then you have other teams that you almost ex- you expected to be there, but then they're, then you see them selling at the trade deadline. Maybe they're selling their their closer and who's the lights out closer. And all of a sudden he's closing out for another team who's doing even worse. And then that team somehow finds a way to get back. And I'm talking about the Mariners, obviously, with Paul Seawall getting his groove in Arizona finally. And then their closer situation, which we'll talk about a little bit later on as well. Influx, put it that way. It's in a little bit influx. Yeah, um, I remember it's been several years ago and it was probably when we were reading Moneyball and reading about the book and the movie. And I remember Billy Bean saying that the closer is the easiest commodity to get value for in trade and also the easiest thing to replace in house. And the Mariners are following that. 
even if we're only talking about two people, it's so rare that we see teams in contention trade their closer away that after Kendall Graveman mm-hmm. last season and now Paul Seawald this season, it really feels they're just buying into that philosophy. Yeah. If you find yourself as a closer for the Seattle Mariners and you're not under a long-term contract, the writing is on the wall now and you know what's what's coming come July. So just be ready for that. We'll see. I'll see if that continues next year. Obviously you have somebody like Nunez who is under, who has Makes his it a contract. little easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have other guys in there that are just coming up and trying to make a name for themselves and trying to find their footing and put themselves in a situation. Maybe Munoz doesn't get traded next year at the deadline if he's the locked in closer just because he's under that contract like you said it is one of the and more even obvious going back, kenley jansen was with the mariners before he became the kenley jansen we knew no in la right you know what i did not know that i don't think i would have put that down in the i'm going grid. by memory there but i think it's <laughs> correct I don't think I would have had a strong enough memory on that one to throw that on Immaculate Grid and feel confident about it, but keep that in mind. (laughs) This sounds like a low percentage play. All right, we are going to touch on some of those rookie call-ups that we talked about, we alluded to just a little while ago in this new section, but I am going to start off on a negative note here, Kevin. The first thing we're going to mention is that Cubs Marcus Stroman, he had right rib cartilage fracture show up in some testing that was done earlier this week. And now he has no timeline for his return, unless you saw something I haven't in the last 24 hours or so. Is Stroman an easy drop at this point just because we don't know when we could possibly see him back and at what capacity when we do see him back? Maybe, because there's something that I was looking at right before we started recording, and we're recording Saturday evening, so I doubt we see much, if any, more news prior to people listening and but it appears that on fan graphs they have him listed at least on the roster resource pages as 60 day il which i had not heard yet and i went every every site i went to looking at their little blurb on stroman still has him on the 15 day il with the same thing that we heard two or three days ago that he no timeline, but I did hear some speculation right around the 1st of September. So it's up in the air and I'm really going to be watching for news over the next couple of days because they need him. They're a pitcher short, even with Assad being in the rotation this week. The speculation is Drew Smiley gets a start or two at least here in the rotation. I know some people would probably like to see Wesneski get another opportunity. If it weren't for the oblique injury, we'd be talking Ben Brown right now. I think we would. I, I think we would. We're past that 45 days. And the same problems that we've been seeing with the back end of the Cubs rotation, not finding the strike zone, he's got the same issue, but at least he's got the strikeout rate. that we like to see if if guys are going to put guys on base via the walk, at least strike out more than the next one, uh, more than a K per nine rate, (laughs) which he does. So, and I still think that's an outside shot. Everything. It's an oblique. We haven't heard much news on him since he was placed on the IL in the minor leagues 
at the beginning of August. But if he is healthy, aren't they going to want to get some innings out of him and stretch him out a little more? And why not do it? For one thing, the minor league seasons will end about the time he's ready to come back. And for the second thing, if the Cubs are still in this race, he probably gives them a better opportunity to win games. So he may not be out of the picture yet, but I, I think we're looking at Assad. He's got two nice matchups this week, so that it, I think he's a great pickup for the week. Probably looking at Smiley, maybe, but I still think there's an outside chance if Stroman is done for the season. If his oblique has healed, we might see Ben Brown for September. Yeah, I wonder if it's more likely you see they give Ben Brown some finishing innings in like the Arizona Fall League rather than push him at the make his MLB debut under such duress on coming back from an injury and not being able to get ramped up. I totally get that the minor league system will the minor league season will end earlier and there will be this downtime. I think that if if I had to put my money somewhere, though, it sound it would be a safer bet for them to throw him at Arizona Fall League, even if it's not the entire Arizona Fall League season, even if it's just for two or three starts, just to get him some extra innings to catch up, because I think we all expect somebody like Ben Brown to be up at the majors early on next season. And so to, to that point, you might be absolutely right, because he'll keep his rookie eligibility. It won't hurt anything. He might not necessarily be somebody that makes the playoff roster if the Cubs make it to that in that direction. But we don't care. <laughs> right. um, he's not going to play on our fancy teams in the playoffs unless you're playing in that specific format. So he definitely named to keep an eye out for. I'm not sure exactly what kind of production I would be expecting out of him, especially coming back from an injury like that at the major league level. If they give him actual starts, depending on the matchups, you got to at least assume that there's going to be some adrenaline running and for the first starter to... If you're in that you're in that pinch, you might want to stash him and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. But Assad getting at Detroit and at Pitt this week, can't ask for much better. No, absolutely not. All right, as you mentioned a couple times, yeah, we are at that 45 day mark. So what we're referencing there is that players keep the rookies. They keep their rookie eligibility as long as they are not on a major league roster for more than 45 days in the season, or the statistical plateaus of 130 at-bats for hitters and 50 innings for pitchers. So all these, that's why we're going to talk about a couple of them, at least two or three of them right now. These call-ups that we're getting right at this week, right at that 45-day mark. And I should clarify that it is 130 at-bats, not 130 plate appearances. So if you got a hitter who's going to walk enough, he still might get above the 130 plate appearance mark and still keep that rookie eligibility. And do not be naive to, enough to not believe that player that teams are not watching this plateau very closely, and they will not hesitate to sit some of these rookies later on in September if they're getting close to these plateaus. I strongly believe that. I want to say that actually happened to Carroll last year, where he was the whole idea that he was sitting versus lefties just because he they didn't want him to hit that those plateaus. So. We'll see if it happens to any of these guys that we're about to talk about. Let's start with Mason Wynn, called up by the Cardinals. And 
I think, unfortunately, he is best known right now for being the guy who lost his first hit ball as Pete Alonso threw it into the stands after diving to try to stop the ball and not being able to make the play at first. He seemed very apologetic in the post-game Bought interview. Bought him a bottle of tequila, man. Yeah, I thought it was funny. He not only bought a little tequila, but he sent him an autographed bat. And I'm like, could Pete Alonso not have found that ball? Does he not have connections? Does his I agent think I not saw have... the fan did return it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I didn't see that. That's good. That's yeah. good. But he did, Pete Alonso did seem pretty torn up about it. So that's good to know. He didn't, he didn't seem like. It's so weird purpose. how often, like, it, it wasn't the third out. So how often do you see an infielder chuck a ball into the stands? You, it was you never, almost I mean, you like it was it. intentional. And I still think. Maybe he thought better of it, and I'm going to be apologetic now, but that's something we don't ever see. Why else would he have done it if not to mess with wind? Yeah, he said in the interview that the ump said that they were going to switch out the balls. And so Uh, instead of rolling the ball back to the dugout, he said, I do what I always do. I throw it into the stands, and I'm not going to do that ever again. That does make sense, I guess. (laughs) I'll give him the benefit of the doubt since he bought him tequila. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he asked him for his, hey, what do you drink? Yeah. <laughs> I <hate> tequila. <laughs> Mason Wynn is up for the Cardinals now, and we'll get to uh, Paul DeYoung later, but Mason Wynn seems to be taking over that shortstop position that DeYoung had for quite a while with the Cardinals. I haven't seen any clocked yet, but all I keep remembering is Mason Wynn in the Futures game throwing over 100 miles per hour across the diamond to first base. So obviously that doesn't really in- impact our fantasy projections as we're looking at, unless you play in a very specific league that I'm not aware of exist. What are we looking at as far as expectations for Mason win the rest of the way now that he's up for the Cardinals? We only have two lineups so far since he's been called up, been in the lineup both times starting at shortstop. That's what we expect. I think he will play every day unless he does start to approach that 130 at bats. He's got a decent walk rate in the minor leagues, so they feel comfortable. But if he does approach that 130, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And we're looking at his speed. He has shown some power in the minors over the past couple of seasons. That's something to take with a grain of salt, the way a lot of these minor league ballparks play these days. So I think it's more about the speed, the run scored. Obviously, he's probably hitting at the top of the lineup at triple a but in 498 plate appearances he scored 99 runs being in that nine hole for the cardinals as long as they can get him to that fourth plate appearance in a game which at times this season would have been a big struggle for the cardinals but if we're getting four plate appearances from him most games then the run scored decent batting average Projections only have him in the 235 to 240 range, but he's always been much better than that in the minor leagues, including this season and those 498 plate appearances, a 288 batting average. So I think we're looking at average stolen bases and runs here. And especially if he's going to play every day for the Cardinals, definitely could be middle infield help in, in 12 teamers and maybe even a starting shortstop in a 15-team league, depending on needs. Yeah, I just don't expect him not to play the rest of the way, unless he hits those plateaus like you talked about. And so we're talking probably not until the end of September, and 
I don't expect them to stretch it out either. So throw them a day off here, a day off there, sit them against a lefty or whatever. I expect them to play literally every day until he gets close to those plateaus. We're going to get into the importance of those matchups and the playing time a little bit later in the show as well. But that's something that I would be keeping an eye on if they're going, if, if I'm wrong and they start setting them every once in a while, obviously that's red flag, but that's going to be production based. One other, I guess somewhat surprising call up that we saw the Angels who obviously made a whole bunch of win now, save Otani type moves at the deadline. They calling up another prospect to fill in that first base gap. They've pieced together throughout the course of the season. First base prospect, Nolan Chanuel. he's coming up and looking like he's going to fill in the spot of that lineup for the near future as well. What kind of an impact are we seeing? Are we expecting out of the newest first baseman for the angels and what kind of, they made a lot of additions, especially on the corners at the trade deadline that some of them seem to be working out really well. And some of them obviously not so much. What kind of uh, impact are you seeing or expecting out of this move? Yeah, one of those moves that has worked out for them, especially against right-handed pitching, is Mike Moustakis. And but with this move, bring it up, Chanuel. He's Moustakis has moved to third base. The best thing about Nolan Chanel is that he's led off all three games that he's been with the team so far. And it looks to me when I look at this lineup, we're getting Mike Trout back any day. I think he's still leadoff. I think they'll just drop everybody else down a spot. Trout in his spot at second, Otani moving to third, Drury fourth, Mustakas fifth, so on down the line. I think he'll continue to lead off for this team. And if he's leading off with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout behind him, I'm in. Yeah, and the other move, obviously, the Angels made Logan Ohapi recalled from his rehab assignment. He came out of nowhere. You actually reminded me about this right before we started recording. I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. As you mentioned uh, to me, he not in the lineup yet, but on the roster. You've got to expect that once he gets going, he's going to continue to keep going the rest of the way, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He played Friday night. He was, they had a doubleheader today. This is one of the, I think, three series that are not going to have games on Sunday. Uh, move their games to Saturday due to Hurricane Hillary. And he is in the starting lineup for the second game. He had the first game off. So that's not unexpected for a catcher having one of the two games of a doubleheader off. So two of three games since coming back on back-to-back days. Yeah, he's taken over. The majority of the time, I would think four to five starts per week with Matt Dice getting one to two. I think back like it was when we right opened before, the yeah, season absolutely. and Ohape was great. And we were like, oh, this is so nice. And he got injured and it's been a few months, but it is a bit of a surprise, like you said, to get him back at this point. But I think he's moving right back into his spot with the majority of the playing time and right in the middle of the order. Even if, like I said, I believe everybody just drops down a spot with Trout moving into the two hole, he'd still be hitting sixth in this lineup that's it's got run potential. And especially with the way the ballpark's been playing for right-handed home run hitters over the past couple of seasons. Yeah, now the Angels just need to find a way to pr- produce off of that 
in the win column rather than right. just in the fantasy statistics expectations. Let's get to a team that is no stranger to calling up their top prospects, specifically their top infield prospects. And they keep it rolling right here with the Cincinnati Reds calling up Noel V. Marte, a third man in line in that middle to left side of the infield carousel that they've been running throughout the course of the, uh, the season. But uh, what kind of same question, man, all these guys are coming up. They shouldn't hit, they won't hit the 45 day mark. They shouldn't hit those statistical plateaus. So they're all be eligible for rookie there next year. They obviously can't all win it, but what kind of expectations are you seeing on a Marte the rest of this season? And then, like I said, they've been calling up everybody up. Like all these guys are here, whether they started the season as a rookie, like Steer did, or you have Encarnacion Strand and obviously Ellie De La Cruz and everybody else. What kind of an impact is Marte's presence going to have on not only playing time, but where guys are hitting in the order or what positions they're playing? I think we see Steer in left field. I think Marte is in there every day, hitting ninth as a shortstop. I think that's what we're going to see. And once again, similar to win, he does have 11 home runs on the season to cross and triple a in 489 plate appearances, but it's the speed. It's the run scored, even coming from the nine hole, the reds most days over the second half of the season, I think are getting that nine hole hitter to his fourth plate appearance in the game. And they have some home games coming up. Of course, we love Great American Small Park. So guys like him with the, some moderate pop, that will help. I think we will see three or four home runs the rest of the way. But with maybe six or seven stolen bases, with only six weeks to go, a stolen base a week would look pretty good right now. Maybe even a little over that. And with the run scored, the way the offense has been producing. In other words, I think just like Mason Wynn, he's going to play every day unless he really gets close to that 130 at-bats. He'll probably get an extra day or two off at that point, but that's the only reason I see them not playing him at shortstop on a daily basis. All right. You got to help me out here, Kevin. Refresh my memory as far as eligibility in the NFBC goes. He did not start on Saturday, and I'm trying to pull up the box. It has to be by 10 a.m. Sunday. And so he did get in the game. He had a stolen base. On oh, that'll Saturday. do it. But I don't know in if the he, game. I don't you know don't if he got to start. A, he doesn't. Right. But he he did. I don't know if he got in at bat. I don't know if he was a oh. pinch runner or if he was a pinch hitter. So I'm trying to pull that up. I don't know if that matters. So I'm trying to figure out if the plate appearance is necessary or just being on the field he, is necessary. Yeah. So that I is, think he'll be eligible Sunday evening in FBC. I could be wrong, but I think think just appearing in the game makes him eligible okay all right something to keep an eye on if you're trying if you're looking in your free agent list on sunday and he's not there you'll know why so just something to keep in mind you might have a whole week to look at it if not he's already got a stolen base so that's always going to be something to keep an eye on as far as bidding goes kevin i mean i'll put you on the spot here that we just talked about three guys that just got the call we don't normally do this especially with three hitters of all having fantasy relevancy in some fashion. But I'm going to go ahead and assume just based on where he's hitting in the lineup and the lineup around him that Nolan Chanel would be the top choice here if you had a waterfall build these guys into your conditionals. Or am I off base here? No, he'd be my top choice. And yeah, and I'd 
probably just because there are still a lot of moving parts in Cincinnati and they're still in the postseason race, I would think Mason Wynn might get a few more at-bats than Dewelve Marte. So I would go Nolan, Nolan Chanel and Mason Wynn, Dewelve Marte. Doesn't mean I don't like Marte. It's just that's the way I would order them due to playing time, just like you mm-hmm. thought. Yeah, and to confirm, I just double-checked it. Marte did was a pinch runner there. He did not get a plate appearance in that game. So we'll test the theories on both sides tomorrow as we're looking through our free I'll see if list. I can find this too as we're talking here. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to some other news that doesn't involve that don't involve some call-ups here before we do have to take a quick break. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games and you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we're back. As I alluded to earlier, Paul DeYoung, he was DFA'd by the Blue Jays who traded for him. Seemed like it was a pretty necessary move at the time with Bo Bichette hitting the IL at the trade deadline. And so DeYoung played his part. He did what he needed to do. Bo Bichette is on his way back. And so DeYoung is now a, he's DFA'd. So he's just sitting out there until he either gets claimed or clears waivers. And then he becomes a free agent and he can sign somewhere else. So that's my question is that can DeYoung find a role somewhere else in a situation similar to where he found himself in Toronto, a team that was just desperate to find fill a gap and give him opportunity to produce, whether or not he produces or not is a separate question. But can he actually find that gap? I think it's going to be tough for him this time of year. I think he'll have a job going into 2024. But at this time of year, I'm not sure where the spot for him would be. 
I think with our new rules, like we've been talking, we're seeing a lot of young players because we expect to see them on opening day rosters next season. So they're coming up late so that they don't exceed that rookie eligibility going into next season. I think other teams that aren't in the race or don't have a young guy they want to look at, I wouldn't see the point right of signing a Paul DeYoung. I'd rather look at one of my young players that I have in my minor leagues, or I'd rather try to get some more repetitions for guys that we just want to better look at. So it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up somewhere, but I don't think we're going to see him in a spot where we can count on him for regular at-bats. I just don't see the point for most situations why they would want to do that. Yeah, I can see him signing with a net playoff contender just because, if I'm not mistaken, you still have to be on a roster by September 1st to be playoff, to be eligible for the playoff rosters as well. So you might see a playoff team take a chance at him in the last couple of days of August just so they have that flexibility or that opportunity to put him in or take him off on that playoff roster just to fill that infield gap. I agree, though, not a place, especially on a playoff team, it's not somebody, he's a bench bat at most. Doesn't have a whole lot of flexibility either as far as like where he'll play and where, where you can move him around in the diamond. So makes himself a little bit less valuable in that sense. Not a name I'm probably even throwing on a watch list, but thought it was worth throwing out there to make sure everybody knew he is going to find a new home. I would expect him to find a new home somewhere. It's league minimum, not not hurting anybody. So we'll see where he ends up. Colton Wong was DFA'd by Seattle a while back, but now he finds a new home by signing a minor league contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Minor league deal, obviously, like I mentioned. So not no guarantee that we'll actually see him in Los Angeles. But I think to my earlier point about the young, the Dodgers may want to call him up before September 1st if he shows any kind of signs of life because he is he has more versatility, especially defensively for them off the bench. Can and will he have any chance to reclaim fantasy relevancy with the Dodgers for the rest of the season? Possibly. I'm not going to count on it, but I'm definitely going to keep my eye on this. It wouldn't be an infielder he's replacing for the Dodgers. It would be an outfielder. Jason Hayward has been banged up for a couple of days, right? Because Mookie Betts can move back to the outfield. Mookie Betts is playing more second base than outfield right now. So this move, I think, is a depth move. And if they think he can produce better than, like I said, Jason Hayward is banged up. David Peralta doesn't play versus lefties. If they think that they are better off with Colton Wong in their lineup, And like you said, as their defensive second baseman, and so they can get Mookie back into the outfield, that would be the move. I don't know. It definitely won't be every day. Nobody plays every day other than Mookie, Freddie, and Will Smith for the Dodgers, right? (laughs) Nobody else plays every day. But if if they decide that a majority of days that benefits their lineup, and it would be a team like the Dodgers that do this, then getting a piece of that lineup for the last, by the time we realize this is the case, three or four weeks of the season could be beneficial. Yeah. I think, like I said, Wong's value, obviously at this point is his defense in the Dodgers must know that too, because they have other second base 
eligible or they have other second basemen just sitting there between Miguel Vargas, who played the position for a while, obviously had his struggles and he's not there now. Michael Bush has been one of their top prospects for a long time now. Got his little daily or day or two in the sun in LA earlier this season. But they have these two guys who in a pinch could fill that role, but they're not exactly the strongest with the glove at the position. So I understand the move. I'm not sure that he plays more than a Wong plays more than a defensive replacement type of situation. Like you were just talking about though. Some of the monitor. If they want Mookie back in the outfield, Ahmed Rosario, they've made it clear. He's only playing against left-handed pitching. That's what we've seen so far. And we were speculating on that anyway. I think most of us. So Colton Wong versus righties in that spot. And like I said, this is if they think they'd rather right. have Mookie in the outfield. All right, we'll end here with another outfielder who's ma- he's trying to make his way back. Back in Seattle, Jared Kelenic, he got his walking boot off. Is the possibility of his return in early September worth stashing him if he's available in your league? If you have the room, I think so. I think, so we saw his roller coaster season and some frustrations are what led to this, obviously, to, to this IL stint. But with roller coaster season, and he's, at least to me, I get the perception where he's not the type of player that I think is going to have another IL stint due to a similar situation. I think he realizes how stupid it was and probably has a chip on his shoulder. So this is great analysis here. There's no numbers. There's no (laughs) track record of anything I'm looking at. I just feel if he makes it back and is healthy, he's probably going to perform well. Maybe not as good as he was real early in the season when everybody thought, all right, here it is. This is the prospect we were waiting for. But I I think he's going to be, he was playing fairly well just prior to the injury Mm -hmm. in spite of, like I said, he'd been frustrated over recent performance. He was on a, a relatively, if not hot, warm streak leading up to that. So I think we'll see him at least at that level, which is better than most other players we can find on the waiver wire at this point in the season. So this would be one of those situations where when you're looking at your roster and you're, you look like you're pretty set for the next week or two and you got an extra spot, then yes, absolutely. I think he's probably worth the stash, but he's not somebody I would drop somebody that I think I may need in the next week or two for him. Yeah, Kalanick seems like the type of guy that we would normally talk about in the wild card section. So I'm going to claim him right now as my wild card <laughs> suggestion here. He's perfect uh, for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so 35% rostered in the online championship. I had to double check to see where he is in the main event, but at least in those 12 teamers available in two thirds of those leagues. Uh, also, before we go on to the next section, I did look up on NFBC. It only states that the minor leaguer plays his first game in the majors. If you stole so a base, you played in all. that game. <laughs> if you stole a base, you played in the game. Yeah, that's though. true. That's the way there, I'm looking at it. I think he'll be available. There's evidence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would. I guess it would have been even worse if he was just a pinch runner and didn't steal a base. So there's like <laughs> literally no numbers. And you'd be like, wait, 
he shouldn't be available. Kalanick, though, 25% rostered. So actually, he's less rostered in the main event than he is in the online championships. So should uh, should you be in a situation? Is that way as well? Who's that? My wild card for later is much higher rostered in the 12 teamers than 15 team leagues as well. Yeah, I think it goes back to what we talk about in the preseason. And you have more available, you, you have not more availability, but like you can take more risks in a 12 teamer than you should in a 15 teamer just because that replacement level. You can hold on to Kellenic a little bit longer or an injured guy a little bit longer, especially even later in the season in a 12 teamer. You also probably have a couple more teams in the online championship that have checked out than you find you're in the main event. And you just happen to have Kellenic on a team that's checked out, they're not going anywhere. All right, we alluded to it a little bit earlier. We're going to go right into a quick little discussion here, Kevin. Our, we usually call our focus topic, but I wanted to talk to you about the importance, and we talk about this at nauseum <laughs> going into the season, about the importance of playing time, the importance of getting as many at-bat or getting as many plate appearances or getting as many innings as you can under your belt throughout the course of the season. But how much more, how much is a an at-bat worth now in the last six weeks of the season than they are throughout the course of the season because we don't have, <laughs> there's not that much time. They make less of an impact because we already have like more than two-thirds of the season banked. I get that. But if you're close to something and, and you could get that, extra, especially I'm also picturing this in my head-to-head leagues as well. It's like if I can get the four to five extra hitters in my lineup on a Thursday, that that puts me way ahead as far as just my confidence goes in get hitting some of those categories. But we have teams that have four or five less games than other teams on the docket the rest of the way. And how important, how much are you looking at that when you're making decisions on who to pick up each week going for the rest of the way? You're 100% correct, right? The extra plate appearances in... April and May are just as important as the extra plate appearances the second half of August and September. However, we know where we need help now. And typically, while you bring it up all the time, don't forget about ratios, especially because the other teams in your league can come back to you if you're trying to gain in ratios. But I think for the most part, we're really looking at where we can make up ground in counting stats categories right now. And the more plate appearances we get, the better chance we have of that happening. So while they do count the same earlier in the season as they do now, we have more information now and we know where we need the help and the plate appearances are going to contribute to that help. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I think it's, Extremely important to know exactly how, not only how many plate appearances or at bats you're going to get out of a hitter or how many innings, like if you're going to get a two step or if, if somebody's going to get moved into the bullpen or anything like that, because they're going to make that much more of an impact. If you get lucky and somebody you're picking up a free agent that's not in the platoon at this time of year, that's very difficult. And we'll get into some, I already crossed somebody off my list that I was going to talk about later, just because I'm like, I I can't trust that situation. Um, And I think we touched on it last week as well, just looking at the schedule, especially through September and realizing my fab dollars are gone 
right? In most scenarios. So you need that money to last. And one way to make that last is making smart decisions now of guys you're not going to necessarily want to drop next week or even the week after that. Some guys that are going to make more of an impact on your roster throughout the course of the rest of the season rather than just a one and done situation. Now, again, also more difficult, especially in a 15-teamer, as a lot of these guys have gotten snagged up in the last week or two. But yeah, how much are you looking at the schedule moving forward? Not even just matchups. And we can talk about that too, but not even just like, oh, he's going to face three lefties this week or what have you, but just like the teams in general, especially with rosters changing so much, these percentages we look at, Woba, when we look at batting average again, so we look at all these things over the course of a three or four week span, those things can change somewhat drastically with these rosters changing, especially the teams that are out of it and they're taking a look at new players and they're taking a look at rookies and what have you. So how much stock do you put into those matchups that we see over the course of the last four or five weeks? A lot. There, there's things we don't realize if you're not paying attention to a particular team on a daily basis and you might not even catch it even if you do thoroughly go through box scores every morning, you're not going to catch every little thing. My favorite thing to look at this time of year and where I go to start my entire fab process and I start it early in the week and keep looking at this all week long is on the roster resource team pages on fan graphs, that last six lineups where you can look at the entire team and who is playing what position and what spot they were in the batting order for the last six games and look at it for the entire team context and see what's been going on what are they doing over the past week and and i put a lot of stock in that when i'm even deciding who i even want to pay attention to and see if i'm interested or not yeah you gotta know where to look Simple as that. Sometimes so you, at this point in the season, you're either you've got you've got some habits running, you've got some auto, you're on autopilot in a lot of situations, whether you're checking these things daily or you're just checking them twice a week before you set lineups, or maybe you're only checking it before fab. I don't know. I don't judge whatever <laughs> you want to do, whatever works for you. But at the same time, you always got to realize that there are lots of other tools out there. And Kevin, you're pointing out some something that I ever barely ever use. I usually, if I'm on the roster research page looking for lineups, I'm on the full lineup page where you can see the lineup that they used over the course of the last, well, season. If you scroll far enough back, but to see that consolidated six game lineup in one spot on the depth chart page, I think I know you're talking, I know exactly what you're talking no, about. It's, it's right on the main page. It's the same regularly. one you're talking about. You just look over to the right. You see where they have their normal lineup. Mm -hmm. And then if you look all the way to the right-hand side, it's where they played and what was their lineup spot for the last right. six games. A little grid. It's amazing. I yeah, I just I like the fact that it's just the last six games. Like I said, yeah. I'm, when I'm looking at their lineup, I'm usually on the separate page, the, like the lineup tracker that roster Oh, resource. yeah. Gotcha. And you can literally scroll. I'm still scrolling. Oh, it goes. Yeah, it goes all the way to the, it goes all the way to, 
March 30th. You can <laughs> see their entire lineup for all the season. It doesn't do you much good to go back and look at the April lineups, though. So that's my point is like if you want to see what there a team has been doing, especially if you're trying to debate whether or not you're going to put a streamer in there or, or whatever kind of matchup you're looking at, looking at the most recent lineups, obviously, is going to help you a lot more. But know where your tools are at. Know what you're looking at. I've been doing it a lot more l- lately on the show, and I'm going to continue to do it today and, and throughout the year. But like one of my favorite tools, especially when I'm looking at who's hot, who's not, and if it's actually sustainable for another week is the PLV batters app that PL uses or has created for this year. Just looking to see if players, if batters are being more aggressive, less aggressive, and whether or not their power is actually playing compared to the rest of the league. Something that, yeah, you can always get a guy that's on a hot streak or not. And you just got to realize, hey, this isn't sustainable or it is. And whether or not you want to buy into somebody doing something for a week or longer. I've been recommending this thing for at least the last three or four weeks and I'll continue to do so. All right, let's get into some of these recommendations, Kevin. We are going to get into our recommendations as we typically do category by category right after this second break. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. Of course, you're listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe. Joined once again by Kevin Hastings. Kevin, glad to have you back here. I'm going to let you start us off from the jump because I'm realizing that the majority, if not the entirety of, no, just the majority of a lot of my callouts here are going to be rehashed from last week. They're just still available. So I'm going to let you start us off here in the power category, home runs, RBIs. Who are you looking at? Yeah, I agree. I know some of the guys I have been talked about recently on this podcast when I wasn't here and on others I've been listening to, but they're guys that still have availability and they're probably the best choices out there for power. Nelson Velasquez in Kansas City, uh, four home runs in the eight games since he joined the team and he's not in there every day. In fact, I was a little surprised on Saturday, he was not in the lineup versus a left-handed starting pitcher. They do have a crowded outfield. They do move guys around. They are getting Sal Perez time at first base, and that's shuffling guys around a little bit. They're trying to get Samad Taylor and Blanco and all these other speedsters that don't have much power to speak of in the lineup as well. But Velasquez is playing most days, and when he's playing, he's crushing the baseball. So the Royals have a fairly full schedule coming up. They just came off of a seven-game week, so they have a six-game week this week. 
not the best hitters ballparks. I don't think that matters for Velasquez. I think this is a whole Jorge Soler situation. When he barrels the ball, it's gone. Doesn't matter the ballpark. They so in that regard, I'm happy that they're playing at Oakland for the first half of this coming week. I'm not worried about Oakland's pitching. Then they get at Seattle for the second half of the week. They do have better pitching, but they will miss Luis Castillo, Brian Wu, George Kirby. They're not going to see any of those guys now that Seattle's in a six-man rotation. So I like the schedule coming up in the six-game week as well. And uh, yeah, Velasquez has just been hitting the snot out of the ball. Yeah, there you go. I can't ask for much more than that. And so I will echo another name we brought up last week and literally never before that, just because he made his debut the week prior. Lawrence Butler of the Oakland Athletics, still only rostered 23% of the time in the main event, 5% in the online championships, playing just about every day. He didn't play today from what I saw, unless he got into the game late, but he did not start. But they... Oakland, also one of those teams we'll get to later that have a seven-game work week ahead of them. As you mentioned, they are hosting Kansas City for the first three, but then they have four in Chicago against the White Sox, which is a much more friendly ballpark for hitters. And, and this they is traded away just, their entire pitching staff. So you're it, good. Not to mention against the pitching <laughs> staff that they're putting out there. Yeah. This is a guy that's just not going to hurt you anywhere. He's got a, He's already got his home run, his first home run, his first 25 plate appearances in the bigs. He's hit for average in a short period of time. Maybe not somebody I'm expecting to hit 40 over the course of an entire season, but we're not talking about an entire season right now. I'm talking about one week and the situation, exactly what we were talking about. If you find yourself in the right situation at the right time, and you have a lot of opportunity to get some stuff done, these are the types of players that you need to consider throwing into your lineup. In my opinion, I had him down. This is an example of a I almost talked about Joey Gallo here just because he's available in a bunch of places, especially in 12 teamers. He's Joey Gallo. He's had a couple of home runs recently, but, and we always say, we talk about this, these in categories and we kind of block out everything else. Right. I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that with Joey Gallo. I couldn't block everything else out here. So I couldn't in my right mind recommend. I'm like, if you're desperate for power, Joey Gallo is always going to be an option for you. If he's available in your league, go ahead and stream him. but know that obviously it's going to hurt you in other areas more than just about everybody else. Maybe beyond Kyle Schwarber at this point. All right, let's get into some speed options here. I, I feel like I talked about every Seattle player last week, except for Cade Marlowe, who is available. He's only rostering 13% of online championships, still readily available in those 12 teamers. I don't have the main event percentages in front of me, but I'll find it as I'm talking. But Cade Marlowe, as I pull up my brag tabs, because I I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about those whenever I possibly can. If you go over to my pinned tweet, you can still find a link to those. I update them every week through the Thursday of that week. And Kate Marlow, if I have these up still, I do. He's right up there. He's been right up there with the rest of the Seattle crew that have been finding their way into the lineup more and more, especially with Jared Kellenick out of the lineup and having to move some guys around. Colin Wong getting DFA'd, freeing up some space. Marlowe, along with Dylan Moore and others, have filled the gap. Marlowe's probably most well-known for the moonshot 
<laughs> he hit the other day against Baltimore where Cedric Mullins stole the home run and then he hit the what ended up being the game winning home run. Marlowe hit the home run in between that and that was pretty uh, it was pretty massive of a home run. They were talking about speed though. And Marlowe's doing things along those lines as well. I gotta pull it up because it's not showing Yeah, he's sixty six percent rostered in main events. And the thing I love about Marlowe is the Mariners face all right-handed starting pitching this week. My only concern about him when he got the call was that Dylan Moore, Sean Haggerty or Sam Haggerty, excuse me, a couple of other of these players might get the playing time versus left-handed starters while Kelnick was out. But this is a great week for Marlowe as far as playing time goes. Yeah. And uh, this guy who's in the last four weeks, has got a stolen base opportunity taken of over 27%. When we're looking at second, when we're looking at second base, the MLB average is 15% in that time. So well above average, he's taking those opportunities when they are given to him. And he's had quite a bit of them, even in his short period or his short time on the field where he's missing some games here or there he's still finding ways to get those opportunities to take advantage of Cade Marlowe Seattle and then pretty much anybody else who <laughs> from Seattle uh, Seattle still likes to run they've got guys who can do it and they've got some decent matchups ahead of them where you can take advantage of that as well so who uh, who might you be looking at if you're looking in the stolen base in or run scored category Kevin I don't think it's I don't think it would be great if it is I don't think this is going to be as great of a late season performance by Elvis Andrews as we got from him in 2022 but the White Sox have seven games this week he's leading off at least until Tim Anderson comes back I'm not so sure he won't continue to read lead off when Tim Anderson does come back it'll be really interesting to see how the White Sox handle that entire situation but he is going to play every day regardless. And with the seven-game week, they get Seattle for the first three. As you mentioned just a moment ago, they get Oakland for four, all of them in Chicago. This is a good time of year to be hitting in Chicago, so a little moderate pop from Elvis can be an added bonus. But in, in a seven-game week with him leading off at least two of them, Anderson is eligible to come back on Wednesday but he will be in the leadoff spot Monday and Tuesday versus Seattle, I, I fully expect. So we're looking at plenty of plate appearances and plenty of opportunities, hopefully, for Elvis Andrews. Seattle, one of the highest, if not the highest, no, second highest, I think, in stolen bases percentage allowed over Love the it. course of the last four weeks as well. So as one of the uh, as one of the teams are going, Elvis Andrews will be running up against if he has those opportunities and he runs he'll probably be successful, <laughs> which is all we really care about in fantasy. We actually don't care how many times they run. We only care how many times they get called safe at second. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Let's get to some guys who might have good opportunities ahead of themselves for whatever reason. Uh, of course, get over some schedule notes for you here. Seven game, seven teams have a full seven-day work week ahead of them. Boston, Chicago White Sox, Houston, Oakland, the Chicago Cubs, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh all have seven games scheduled in seven days. There's only one team to worry about as far as having two days off. That's Milwaukee Brewers. They have Monday and Thursday off. Full weekend ahead of them, though, at the end of the week. And then everybody else is either off Monday, Thursday, or in the case of Texas and Arizona, Wednesday, which is 
odd. In, in NFBC, it doesn't really matter. A day off in the first four days is a day off. It doesn't really, you can't really switch it out. But if you are stacking your lineups in daily moves leagues, stuff like that, you'll want to keep in mind, you're going to miss out on your hitters from Texas and Arizona on a random Wednesday of next week. So that in mind and anything else, I, I'm stopped, I stopped talking about Colorado just because as it was pointed out to me or I saw it somewhere, I can't remember who, where you could, if you've seen it, you can help me out here, but Colorado is not playing that well as a team, if you haven't noticed. And then also because the Rockies haven't been playing well enough for it to matter, course hasn't been playing up at all, at least not as a whole not in the way we expect it to. So I'm not even calling out whether or not the Rockies are home or away that much. You guys can look that up if you think that's still important. Obviously, it was important today as one of the pitchers I'm going to talk about a little bit later got lit up a little bit in course and it's not helping my cause. But uh, yeah, I stopped calling it out here. I probably won't call it out the rest of the way either. I think the issue is, and this is a common misconception with Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Coors Field for this season, according to StatCast, is the best ballpark for runs scored. It's just not playing up for home runs. And that's been a misconception for a while. Yes, the ball flies at Coors Field, but it's about how massive that outfield is in combination with the ball flying. And it's about runs scored. And it is by far the best ballpark in baseball this season. Your Fenway Park is number two Hmm. and Kauffman is number three. Those are the three best ballparks as far as runs scored, according to StatCast for this season. I don't have that in front of me, but I'm assuming that Small Park is is one for home runs still. Because every time I look, I they're, believe they're right it was. I can figure that at one. No, it's second. Whoa. To Globe Life Field. Okay. And maybe huh. that's just, maybe it's hard for them to account how often the Rangers are just hitting the snot. Yeah. The ball. Yeah. The uh, team has to play a role. <laughs> the players that are actually but, playing the game, but small park is still number two behind globe life field for there Texas. All right. The guy I'm looking at here and has less to do with the schedule and more to do with just finding himself in a new role with, seemingly at least in the short period of time seems to be full time. I'm looking at Nikki Lopez in Atlanta with Ozzy Albies hitting the IL. They did call up Von Grissom as well, but Nikki Lopez seems to be getting the the lion's share of the time at second base there. And he from my unless I don't know how to use control F anymore. Nikki Lopez 0% rostered in any league I could find <laughs> anywhere. It might be different in Yahoo since that is the Daily's Moose Leagues and taking some chances there. But Lopez is, I almost put him in the speed category because that's mostly what you're grabbing him for, as you're aware, in his time in Kansas City, hit that and bat in that nice string of batting average that he put together early on in his major league career as well, plus the stolen base streak that he was on for quite some time. But the fact that Von Grisham has really shown absolutely nothing, I wouldn't expect him to take a lot, if any, of the playing time away from Nicky Lopez based on what he's been putting forth on the field lately. And I haven't seen a timetable for Albies to return, not to mention that I don't think he'd be eligible to return this week anyway, given the full 15 days of his IL stint. So Nicky Lopez readily available should fill in those middle infield positions for you if that's what your need is. And Atlanta's going to, I would assume, going to continue to give him run at that position, at least for this coming week. And as long as, at the very least, as long as Albie is out. I have one concern with Nicky Lopez. 
And this is something that Casey Bubba and Ryan Bloomfield have talked about a lot on their recent episodes. It seems like the Braves never face a left-handed starting pitcher anymore. And when they're talking about it, they're talking about getting Eddie Rosario in their lineups. And that's been great. We've had that, we've had that luxury over the past several weeks. They are set to face three left-handed starting pitchers this week. And we have no idea what they're going to do. If you look at that, that grid on roster resource, we were just talking about a full, few minutes ago. Other than catcher, nobody on their roster has gotten into the lineup that's not in it every day over the past six days. The only position that has changed is catcher. Everybody else has played every single day. What are they going to do with left-handed starting pitching? That's when I see Vaughn Grissom may get a game or two from Nicky Lopez if they do want to platoon that spot. But that's my only concern. Anytime yeah, you can get a spot in a lineup that's averaging six runs a game, you'll take it. That is fair, and everybody talks about Atlanta being this offense you don't want to face if you're streaming a pitcher because these are so good. And you have to assume that some of that is just the consistency that they have been showing. Maybe it's not always about the platoon. But yeah, you're right. Eddie Rosario is the only one that is, if you go back like the last couple of weeks, he's the only one that has any missing days, and they're all against left-handed starters, as our boys have talked about on the other pods. Obviously, we could talk about Sean Murphy not playing as much as everybody would like as well, but that's the nature of the position in most scenarios. And they don't have the luxury of having that open DH spot with Ozuna locked, having that locked in as well. So yeah, Nicky Lopez played every day at second base, batting from the nine hole for the last week, but they faced right handed starters in every single one of those games. So we'll see how that irons out. I hope you're wrong. I hope he gets in there, but at the same time, yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. Von Grisham's been up for five, four or five days, has not started yeah, again. Yeah, just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there. <laughs> All right. All right. Besides that, besides Nicky Lopez and whether or not you want to roll the dice there, he is available. You could throw a dollar at him and see, yeah. see how that works out. Who might you be looking at instead? Yeah, so I'm actually looking ahead a week here, Adam. As we talked a little earlier, we uh, pretty much everybody can somehow fit into the opportunity category mm-hmm. this time of year. That's really what we're looking at. But looking ahead a week, because I think it'll be a popular pickup next weekend with the limited money that many players have left. I think we can grab him for next to nothing next this weekend. And that's Patrick Wisdom. He is in a strict platoon in Chicago, it seems like. And not this week, but the following week, they have a seven-game slate. They do have Thursday of that week off, but they get a four-game series at Great American Small Park in the three-day week in NFBC formats, probably against at least two left-handed starters right now, and possibly even a third, depending on if Lodolo is back that weekend, which there is some speculation that he might be. So he's going to get at least probably half of the playing time in that series, if not more, they also face a lefty earlier in the week in their series in Milwaukee. So I think he's viable in weekly lineup leagues as well for that week with the power he can provide, especially with a majority of his plate appearances that week coming in Cincinnati. So I'm looking ahead and probably anywhere I have room, I'm going to try to stash Patrick Wisdom this week. 
He's only 43% rostered in main events, even 8% in the 12 team online championships. And I think this is the week to grab him. I think he'll be a popular pickup next week. Yeah, always good to look ahead. I know we really stopped doing that this season just because it, there's so much flux, especially on the pitching side. But this time of the year, yeah, grabbing a guy. It's This works best in the scenario that you're talking about here, where you have a guy who's in a very strict platoon. He's obviously not on the stronger side of that platoon as well. You can get him for the $1 bid now, knowing that, you're probably not even going to play him this week and nobody would play him this week. So you're not going to be able to, you're not going to have a lot of competition to, uh, if you have the flexibility of having that stash and we're not talking about a year long stash too. We're just talking about a one week stash. At least maybe you hold on to him a little bit longer. If he finds himself in a good situation the following week or things change and he's forced into more playing time. It's a really a win-win situation though. So I think it's a nice lookout for sure. We talk about all these opportunities that players are getting. And so it's behooving me at before we move into the pitching categories to remind everybody that if you want to make making picks on MLB games, you should be trying underdog fantasy It's the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Underdogs pick them game. You just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, full fantasy points, walks in certain situations, a whole much more. You pick two to five players. You get a, you get all your picks right. You win up to 20 times your money in a single night. So you really want to consider these situations that we're talking about, whether it's a guy who's going to face off against a couple of left-handers, and that's where their splits lie, or in these pitching categories, the guys that are going to have really good matchups coming up for the following week when their daily pickup lines come out, you'll have a better sense of which ones to take advantage of. So make sure you sign up. And if you're doing it for the first time, use promo code PitcherList and the underdog will double the first deposit up to $100. You get extra cash to play with. You can carry that over, obviously, into the other sports that underdog carries as well. So as the other sports, I don't know, football, and you might be interested in, I don't know, you could carry that over into that season as well. Again, this is underdogfantasy.com or underdogfantasy in the app store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Of course, you have to be 18 or older and in a state where underdog fantasy operates to play. You have to be 19 or over in Alabama or Nebraska, 21 or over in Massachusetts or Arizona. Terms do apply. If you're concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. And after all that, Kevin, let's get right into the pitching categories here. I'm going to glaze mine over because he looks so not like a good pick after today. Jesse Schultons is somebody that I've been eyeing for a while now. 62% rostered in the main event. So you still got two thirds or a third of leagues there in those 15 teamers where he's still available. The one good thing about what happened today, he went three innings, let up five earned runs. Did have some, I think he let up more than five runs though. Uh, I think two of them were unearned due to a mishap by Andrew Vaughn in the field. So he had that. And so this is something that everybody was talking about with Lance Lynn moving over to the Dodgers. He has a much better defense behind him. Eloy is out on paternity leave. So at least he's not hurting your defense in that, in that way. But apparently Andrew Vaughn is not doing him any favors today in, in Colorado. This was in Colorado as well. I, that's, that should be worth mentioning. He has a very nice matchup against Oakland next week. And 
if the stars all align, he should have a nice two-step the following week as well. And to be honest, this is something that we brought up last week as well. The It's the White Sox. They're in the American League Central. They do have some nice matchups. As good as Kansas City's offense has been, it's still, it's still a divisional matchup that you're going to play 99 times out of 100. And the White Sox have a... A overall very good schedule and Schultz should be able to take advantage of that moving forward before this start he's had three straight starts of six innings and three runs or less streak going and I'm expecting that to right the ship especially against Oakland he faces off against Oakland and then he should get Baltimore after that the following week and then he either gets if he gets the two-step, he'll get Detroit at the end of the week. Or if it bleeds into the following week, he'll get the two-step there at Kansas City and then at Detroit. So he's going to get Detroit no matter what. Whether or not he gets them twice back-to-back or he gets split up with Kansas City is something that we'll have to, he'll have to wait and see. But after that, he'll face off against Minnesota. And he might even get a start against the Nationals later on in September as well. So that overall schedule for Schultz is something I'm really looking forward to. I'm actually happy that the over the overall line doesn't look that great for him now because where he is still available, he might continue to be available based on the numbers that everybody is seeing on the surface in this start in Colorado. So I'm not sure if Schulten's somebody that's been on your radar the last couple of weeks or somebody moving forward that you trust or not. I'd love to hear your takes on that, but I do the names that you have coming in here. I, I couldn't bring myself to put Rakens on here just because... If you listen to Pitcher List or read Pitcher List at all, you already know everything you need to know about Corey. Right. Um, but do you have any thoughts on Schultz? I do. In fact, I considered him in a daily pickup league where I could use some help this weekend and decided against it due to it being at course. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> hey, it, it matters how risky you need to be this time of year. And I considered it, and I'm glad I turned it down, but I don't hold today against him. I would be ready to roll him against Oakland, absolutely. Yeah, and then a couple of my guys, including Cole Raggins, almost universally rostered in the main event. There is one main event league out there where he's available. He's available in a third of the 12-team online championship leagues. And like you said, I have... I absolutely love been watching Nick Pollock talk about Cole Rackets as a Royals fan. But this is what it appears to be his matchups for the rest of the season. It appears Oakland, and that one's pretty much a sure thing this week. And we can probably count on Pittsburgh and the Chicago White Sox as a two-step the following week. Then the White Sox again, Cleveland, and Detroit. That's what it appears to be his rest of the season schedule. So I love that on top of everything Nick Pollock has had great to say about him and being one of the few, especially on the pitching side, bright spots for Royals fans this season. The other guy that I have that much more available in 12-teamers, in fact, he's 100% rostered in the main event, but available in nearly half 12-team leagues is Zach Littell. He gets Colorado, their first road game after a long homestand. You know how I love that. And then he gets the Yankees for a second start this coming week. And they haven't been hitting much better than the Rockies over the past few weeks. So love those matchups for Zach Littell, who has been a popular guy over the past couple of weeks, but still available in almost half 12-team leagues. 
deeper leagues, this is how bad it's getting when mm. we're looking for a starting pitcher in 12 team league or in 15 team leagues. Tuki Toussaint is 53% rostered. <laughs> I, I started groaning when I thought, am I really after Tuki Toussaint in these 15 team leagues? I think I am. And then I looked at the roster ship and couldn't believe that he was already rostered in over half the leagues. But he gets Seattle and Oakland this week. Seattle has been putting up some runs off and on recently. They're still not real consistent, still not the team that a lot of people hope they would be this season. Not somebody I'm going to shy away from, but somebody I will hold my breath and hope he gets through it in order to get that next start versus Oakland once again. Well, it looks like between both of us, at least three of the four pitchers we named, we're going after the Oakland Athletics this week. Shocker. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah, I mean, that... I, I have, is it Raggins or Reagans? I keep hearing, I got, I don't think it's listed on baseball reference, but I, yeah, Royals I couldn't fan. find it either. Okay. I'm going to go with Raggins now since you're the Royals fan and you're, uh, you're saying it to me, but anyway, yeah, I picked up Raggins in, in my home league, like right as he was being called up m- mostly due to Nick Pollock's excitement there. But then I did exactly what you did here right on the outline is I looked to see exactly, I mapped out what should be his schedule the rest of the way. I'm like, I think I'm holding him through yeah. my playoffs because it's like, this is a guy I'm going to try to stream anyway. I'm like, I have limited ads in that league. I can only pick up four guys a week. So it's like, I, I trust every one of these starts for the most, just about, I might as well just hold on to him. And Schultz was the same logic I had with Schultz was looking at his schedule, regardless of what this was. His schedule is very similar to what you with Raggins as well. Something is important to look at, especially if you have limited ads and drops or limited fab dollars left on these guys that you might end up holding on for the rest of the season based on the matchups that you see. And you're not going to worry about sitting them as much. We talked about, we're going to go into ratios now. Of course, your standard 5x5 five five ERA and whip for the pitching side. Javier Assad is somebody we touched on earlier, and I'm just going to echo that again. I believe we brought him up last week, but still 60% roster in the main event. It's got the, the probable two-start for this coming week. And the I like the Cubs' rest of the season schedule as well. So if he does stick in this rotation, whether it's because Stroman is out for an extended period of time and or they just need the stretch to keep that stretched out. Usually I know I'm putting him in ratios and I know he's got a two step. So obviously he can still volume his way into a couple extra strikeouts than you would normally suspect. But what's nice is the guy that you mostly trust to help you in your ratios. If he's getting that volume, those that help in those ratios are going to go further than a one, a one six inning start. If you can get two six inning starts or even just 11 11 innings rather than five or six, you'll take that every time, obviously, especially if he can keep the keep those runs down against his opponents for this coming week. And I don't have his opponents in front of me. I got to look that up. But I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, it's at Detroit and at Pittsburgh. Doesn't get much better. Like you said, volume for the strikeouts. He's not a strikeout and inning guy, but if he can go 10 to 12 innings between those two starts, I would expect eight or nine strikeouts against those two teams which is better than you're going to get from almost anybody in their one start week. Yeah, he might end up again in Cincinnati the following week, but then he'll probably get a start either against the Giants or Arizona the week after that. 
So again, not teams that we're necessarily afraid of, at least the way that they're playing right now. Maybe that changes in the first two weeks of September. But if he stays in that rotation, he very well might get a start in Colorado after that as well. So just something to monitor throughout the course of the week. I'm talking about just this week right now, especially with the two-starter. Take that with what for what it's worth. Kevin, ratios, who, who might be chipping away at them for you the next week? Yeah, I thought about this guy un- under wins and Ks, but... It really depends on how San Francisco decides to deploy Sean Manea this week. He's been the follower a couple of times recently, definitely getting the innings in relief, but he is penciled in, at least on roster resource, as the starter at Philadelphia on Tuesday. I'm not so sure he'll be the starter. And they may throw someone in there for him to follow. But in either case, the ratios have been good recently. So this was, I felt like this was the best category to get him in there. He's given up one earned run in his last six appearances. Three of those six appearances being at least three innings, two of them being four plus innings, like I said. He did start, it's been, goodness, you got to go all the way back to May 10th since he actually started a game. But he's been going three or four innings in many of his outings. So that's why I'm putting him here in ratios. We may see him a couple of times during the week. If not, it looks like we'll see him definitely two times the following week, which would be great. I believe he would get Cincinnati, at least for the first one, in San Francisco, not Great America Small Park. So I like Sean Manaya here for some ratios over probably at least the next couple of weeks, not just this coming week, especially if he's going these bulk innings, then they're still going to want to give him four or five days off. And it may be two weeks from now before we get the two appearances out of him. But definitely, yeah, he's been great. But he's got what? It's a total of 16 innings, giving up one earned run in his last six appearances. Yeah, so it's, those bulk innings obviously play a role in that as well, as long as you can get the multiple uh, multiple games in per week to get that as well. If he gets uh, an opener, then he's got a chance for the win, but I don't think yeah. he's going five. I'm hoping for an opener. Bonus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Saves category, tougher and tougher as you go on through the season. I took the low-hanging fruit here just because of recency bias. Matt Brash. 85% roster in the main event, much more readily available in your 12-teamers, getting all the saves right now in Seattle, it seems. Andres Munoz, who obviously was the expected heir apparent when the Paul Seawald trade went through, obviously ran with it for a minute, but the overall the month of August, he's had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight appearances, and he has gone hitless in only two of those appearances, just not looking good in general granted he's actually only let up two earned runs in those appearances but it just look at the saves log in general brash is getting the good bulk of the opportunities here at least in in recent days munoz did get the save on friday but brash with back to back i understand munoz had 42 pitches the day before but the fact that they still went to brash both times and they didn't switch it up giving it to either Justin Topa or pretty much anybody else in that bullpen, I think does say something about, obviously, obviously Brash is 
next in line if Munoz were to struggle again he's not gonna he's not really hurting you in any other area as well so if Brash is available and you're desperate for saves this is a guy that needs to be rostered 100% across the board regardless of league size especially where at, the, at somebody in your league whether they're paying attention or not is the question can use Matt Brash on their roster especially if you're because somebody is looking to make that jump in saves in a one save in a week could make the difference there look to see if you're that team you're probably going to want to throw a couple bucks on a guy like matt brash who can still vulture himself into that situation kevin i feel like i took the low-hanging fruit you might feel differently i don't know but uh, you got a different name on here that's much more readily available so in comparison yes i do think i took the low-hanging fruit who's your high-hanging fruit Andrew Kittredge is back for Tampa. And he came back, got the, his first game back, came in, got the save. I'm not taking too much from that. It was the 10th inning. Fairbanks got the win, who had pitched the ninth. Fairbanks is the guy the majority of the time in Tampa. And I think as long as he's healthy, I think we, because Tampa will give so many guys save opportunities we lose sight of the fact that they do like to have a guy that they use a majority of the time if they're healthy and that is fairbanks but fairbanks has had injury concerns over the past couple of seasons missed some time and if he stumbles or pitches two or three days in a row i think kittredge could be their number one backup plan especially with jason adam blowing the save on Friday night when Kittredge ended up getting the save in the 10th. I I like Kittredge here just about as much as anybody this time of year. He's one of the guys we talk about all season long that I I won't mind having him in my lineup, Mm -hmm. even if he doesn't get me a save. He's going to give me ratios, like the category before us, typically. He's somebody I think we can count on. He is going to get into some high leverage situations, And if something goes south with Pete Fairbanks, then he could get us even more saves than we expect. There we go. All right, we're going to close it out here in the wild card section. I'm copping out here and saying Jared Kelenic is my pick. Though your call out to Nick Lodolo is somebody that I've been considering throwing out on here as well. I find it a little bit more difficult to stash the pitchers that are coming off the injury, though. But the guy like Kelenic, who he's going to get, 100% 100% of the timeshare once he is back in the lineup for that time period. It would be somebody that I would, uh, if he's available in my leagues, I'll be looking at. But you went with a theme of the beginning of the show here with your pick. So I'd love to see, I'd love to get your take on how what you think he pick's going to do the rest of the season if and when he does get the call by Arizona. Yeah, I got Jordan Lawler here. I think now that they are past this 45 days, I think he will most definitely be on the roster opening day 2024. So there's no reason that as far as time manipulation or anything along those lines, it's out the window at this point. If he is indeed going to be on 2024's opening day roster, which I think most of us would agree he will be, Arizona uh, after being a very exciting team for about the, over half of the season and then over uh, their period after the All-Star break, we all start to think, oh, yep, they ran out of gas. Here we go. They're back at it. They're only a game and a half out of the wild card, and they're still playing right now the second game of their doubleheader 
here on Saturday after winning the first game of the doubleheader. They can be within a game of a wild card spot here with six weeks to go. And I think a guy like Lawler in this situation, one, he probably gives them a better chance to win now for this postseason push. Two, it costs Arizona absolutely nothing to see what they have and how he performs against Major League hitting before coming into the 2024 season. So fully expect we see him in the next week or so. Yeah, every expectation is he's in the starting lineup on opening day next year. And I would get worried if they don't call him up. Then I'm worried about not only him as a player, perhaps, but also his availability to start. And then I'm almost expecting him not to be on the opening day roster uh, next year. I think that's going to, you're going to find, if we haven't already felt like we found teams always doing this for years and years to come, as long as the, this, incentive is on there to keep to get those players on opening day rosters you're always going to see them being called up at the end or middle of august just to get as much of that look as you can get i love the fact that matt on the pitcher list prospects rankings still has jordan lawler number one i know holiday <laughs> has been is a lot of people's tour choice cheerios up there now and even some of the guys just drafted in 2023 are in the top five but uh, he's sticking with lawler at number one i love it let's see him up here yeah. Proximity has to play a role in, in, in that rankings, right? Holiday is not that far off, but Lawler is literally could be tomorrow. We could get a whole week looking at him before will, we have to bid on him next week. We'll see. In leagues, I have a spot that he might be my filler this weekend because we've seen this season where then we hear this announcement on Monday. So in a lot of NFBC leagues, that won't be possible, but in, in leagues where he's available and you can make that move now but then you have to set your lineups monday or tuesday depending on the schedules i i think i would grab him now because it would not surprise me one bit it will surprise me more i think if we don't see him this week at some point for arizona and yeah, arizona is home all week next week yeah. they got six games starting on monday they are one of those weird teams that has the wednesday off game but then they are on the road in LA and then back home against Baltimore. There's, you got to assume a guy like Lawler, they're going to want to debut at home. This is prime opportunity to do. So. All right. That are all the recommendations we have. Kevin, now that you're back, I'm going to give you the floor once again to give any final thoughts you might have at this point of the season for those who made it all the way through the episode. I think at this point, there, there's not much more than what talk about all season long but six weeks that's what we got six weeks to go if you're if you're tired and you're like ah fab i gotta deal with fab you only gotta deal with it six more times and a lot of people in your leagues feeling the same way are gonna blow it off especially with my feed on x slash twitter is almost all football right now and it's by guys I follow for baseball, and it's still nothing but football. You're going to sneak some things in, and you are going to climb up a spot or two or even more if that's what you need if you keep at it for this last six weeks. Really, we could just record that, and I'll play it. At for the, the next five weeks? For the next four <laughs> weeks, yeah. Four. <laughs> I'll just change the numbers somehow. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I think that's solid advice, obviously, and I think that'll ring true for pretty much anybody who's still listening here. But that is going to wrap it up for episode 128 of On The Wire. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 Great. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hastings. Thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye. Mm-hmm.